because we're going to actually do a, uh, an office. Uh, there's a tool we developed for you that we'll do one of the offices here at the end of our service uh, this morning. Let's pray, and uh, we will begin our, uh, our morning. And so, Lord, we do surrender our hearts to you. And I ask, Father, that where our hearts are hard and our eyes are closed, I pray you might open up our eyes. And for all those who have a very tough exterior coming in here, for whatever reason, I ask you to melt that by the Holy Spirit's power and that we may have an experience of you this morning, every one of us, and meet you, the living God, in a way that you've intended that we would through the prophet Isaiah. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Okay. Now, actually, today I was set to begin uh, the book of Jeremiah as we're doing the prophets as a series, uh, but I will do that next week. But we're pausing today for what I'm calling a summary and application of Isaiah uh, around a daily office. And I realized that we needed to pause as a church because God has spoken so powerfully to us uh, over the last three months, three and a half months. We've had 11 messages on Isaiah and that we need to digest it. Uh, we do not want to simply be intellectually receiving messages. They're coming in and going out. But God intends that we'd actually experience our theology we would digest it. We would eat it, is an expression used in the Bible. We eat it, and, and that the, the word, the truths of Scripture become a part of our being, part of our DNA, part of our bloodstream. And so in order for that to happen, we, we've got to slow down. And so uh, we've, developed, we've developed a tool for you, um, and it's here at this daily office that I'm hoping you're going to use. I'll explain it later over the next couple of weeks. And it's a daily office built around uh, the messages that we've been preaching the last three to four months. And so what I want to do this morning is, is summarize and make application of the entire uh, book of Isaiah as God has come to us as a church. Remember, as God comes to a community by the Holy Spirit as it enters a book of Scripture. A scripture is, is so vast and bottomless. It can be approached from so many angles. And so part of being a community is, as the Holy Spirit's dwelling in our midst, God's got a way that he's speaking to us that we are to receive today, at this moment in history, at this intersection of your life. And so I'm going to summarize the book of Isaiah with this verse, which I think captures the heart uh, of what he was trying to say in these 66 chapters. It comes from Isaiah 30, verses 15. And I want you to notice there's an invitation in this uh, verse as well as a struggle. It reads as follows. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation in quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. Again, the invitation is for salvation and strength from God that comes through repentance, rest, quietness, and strength. But the struggle they had, at least among God's people in, Israel, in Isaiah's time, was that they wanted nothing to do with resting and quietness and trust, and they kept repeatedly taking things into their own hands. So today, as I do this summary, uh, I'm going to make five major points that come out of the book. And we're going to intersperse my points with three uh, personal testimonies uh, that reflect different key points and messages that we've done the last few months. So they'll be coming along. And then we'll, we'll close with actually we're going to do a daily office together at the end of the service. So let me begin with uh, one controlling illustration 
that I think summarizes the book of Isaiah. And uh, it goes as follows. It comes from actually an article written by a woman named Emily Pearl Kingsley. And uh, it's at, she wrote this after she birthed a special needs child. And the article was called, Welcome to Holland, Parenting a Special Needs Child. And when she's referring to Holland, she's not referring to the city of Holland, Michigan. She's referring to Holland, you know, Europe, where Amsterdam is. And so her, her story goes like this. I'm often asked to describe, she writes, the experience of raising a child with a disability, to try to help people understand it and imagine what it feels like to have a child like this. She says, when you're going to have a baby, she says, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks, you make your wonderful plans to visit the Colosseum, to see Michelangelo's David in Florence, to see the gondolas in Venice. You may even learn some handy phrases in Italian. It's all very exciting. And after months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags and off you go. Several hours later, the plane lands. The stewardess comes in and says, welcome to Holland. Holland, you say? What do you mean, Holland? I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy. All my life I've dreamed of going to Italy. But there's been a change in the flight plan. You've landed in Holland, and there you must stay. It was a one-way ticket. The important thing is that they haven't taken you to a horrible, disgusting, filthy place full of pestilence, famine, and disease. It's just a different place. So you must go out now and buy a new guidebook. You must learn a whole new language, and you will meet a whole new group of people you would never have met. It's just a different place. It's slower paced than Italy, less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there a while and you catch your breath, you look around and you begin to notice that Holland has windmills. Holland has tulips. Holland even has Rembrandts in Amsterdam. And before you know it, uh, before everyone's coming back from, going back from Italy, and they're all bragging about what a wonderful place Italy is. And for the rest of your life, you will say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned. And the pain of that will never, ever go away because the loss of that dream is a very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special and the very lovely things about Holland. Now, people during Isaiah's time thought a lot like that. They had their life all mapped out with God, the way it was supposed to work out. They planned their lives. They were going to Italy. But things didn't happen that way. They ended up on a plane. They landed in Holland. And so in, and they're, they're miserable. They're grumbling. They're struggling. They're running away. They're angry at God. They're blaming each other. They're blaming other people. And so into that context, Isaiah speaks the book of Isaiah, 66 chapters, second, third longest book in, in the whole Bible. And so what I'm going to give you here are the five words Isaiah speaks to these people who end up not in Italy, but in Holland. Okay, the first one is very simply is this. Isaiah says, remember this, God is on the throne. God is on that throne, and God's running the airplane. And we began this series on Isaiah chapter 6. If you remember, it was the year King Uzziah died, it says. And uh, Isaiah has this vision of who God is. And now King Uzziah in Israel 
had been really like in the footsteps of King David and Solomon. He was one of the great last kings of Israel. For 52 years, he ruled the country. It was stable. It was prosperous. They were free from all uh, foreign military intervention, uh, and it was very prosperous. When he died, it was like the World Trade Center and the Pentagon being hit by those airplanes in 2001. It, it shook the country to the core, and everybody was filled with anxiety and fear. And in the midst of that, God gives Isaiah revelation for the people. It's this. Remember, God is on the throne. He's running the ship. And so he sees, you'll see the verse, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah, Isaiah sees a high towering throne, and God is on it. Not Uzziah, not any earthly king, and God is sitting on that throne. He's not anxious, he's relaxed. And the fact that he's holy is emphasizing God is other. God is different. God is majestic. God is not like you think him to be. And uh, he's above all gods, he's incomparable, and he's utterly different than our thoughts. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are definitely not our ways. And he is the Lord Almighty, which means he's got everything in his grip. And the will of God is the ultimate power of the universe, and uh, it will be accomplished. And so we wonder, why am I in Holland? What am I doing here? God says, I'm beyond you. Don't try to figure me out. You will never wrap your arms around my massiveness and how big I am. And later, what happens is the Israelites find themselves surrounded by the Assyrians. So the book of Isaiah is one continual, it seems like, disruptive event after the other. And so we did a second message on, on resting under pressure. And we find that now a number of years have passed, and now Assyria has grown into the superpower. Israel has declined. And now the Assyrian Empire, ruled by a guy named Sennacherib, have conquered all the surrounding countries, and they have conquered every city in Israel except for one. They are now surrounding the walls of Jerusalem. And so they find themselves surrounded by, most scholars say, 500,000 Assyrian troops. And it looks like they are about to be wiped out. You can bet they're saying to themselves, this is not the Italian trip we had planned in trusting Christ. And so uh, the pressure was enormous. The pressure was relentless. And so the Assyrian king and his messengers start, start shouting over the walls to all, like us, sitting in church here, to the people of God seeking to trust God. He says, don't trust God. You're wasting your life. God's not answering your prayer. God's not going to deliver you. In fact, God sent me to wipe you out. And he begins to try, to try to undercut their faith and their trust in God. And he says, you know what? If you trust God, you're going to end up eating your own excrement and drinking your own urine. And he feeds fear into them. And they are weary, and they are tired, and it looks like they're going to possibly starve to death. And God speaks to them and says, surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Before him, all the nations are nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its people are like grasshoppers. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. And so God says, I'm going to surprise you. You're going to meet me in this place. And then we talked about, remember the stump? It was the throne and the stump. That actually was the first message. And we saw that verse, the holy seed will be the stump in the land. 
And the point was this, that stumps are, are trees that have been cut down. And, and they're small. And they represent death. They represent uh, the end of a tree. Uh, it's something that's not very beautiful. In fact, it's ugly. Stumps, Isaiah says, and God says, it's from what appears like is death. It's from which seeds of life come forth. And stumps, uh, we are offended by stumps. And God says, no, the Messiah himself is going to come from the stump of Jesse. And just like Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's almost imperceptible. You can barely see it. It seems insignificant. It seems powerless. But Jesus comes as a mustard seed. The whole nature of Christianity from the very beginning of time has been a mustard seed that most people don't even see it. But the holy seed's in the stump because God is on the throne. And he doesn't work like we do. And we ask ourselves the question, where in your life is it hard for you to believe that God is on the throne? And then we ask, what stumps are in your life right now that you resent, that you want to ignore, that you find ugly, that you want to get rid of. And we talked about different stumps that are in our lives in which God on the throne is in those. Things like you experience a job loss or you find yourself in a transition or betrayed or your parents are your stump or maybe your children are your spouse or maybe it's a divorce, maybe it's your work, your job, your coworkers, maybe it's, it's a, it's a um, difficult relationship, maybe it's a cancer, maybe it's a betrayal. But unless we see God sitting on the throne and that the whole earth is filled with his glory, Isaiah says, you'll never see him in the stump. You'll resent the stump. You'll hate the stump. You'll, you'll be revolted by the stump. You'll abhor it. And you'll want to bulldoze it over. You'll want to cut it to shred. You'll want to pave it over with a highway. And God says, no, no. Make no mistake about it. I am on the throne. And I am in that stump in your life. And there are seeds in that stump which are meant by me to give you life. With that, I want to invite Monique to come forward and to share about the throne and the stump for her. Welcome, Monique. Good morning. I recently became an empty nester as my only child entered college last fall. And although I tried to prepare for this season of life, the reality of the transition has been pretty scary. I thank God that my daughter is doing well, but after 18 years of hands-on parenting, it's difficult to have her a 14-hour drive away from home and to accept that she doesn't need me as she once did. And since I'm a single parent, living alone is new to me as well. I often walk with my head down, leading me to take notice of stumps, sidewalk cracks, foraging squirrels, and birds. So when Pastor Pete spoke about the throne and the stump in Isaiah 6, I immediately envisioned not only the stump, but the green shoot or the mini tree that often emerges from the side of it long after the tree has been cut down. And after that message, each time I walked my parents' dog, I would spend even more time looking inside the stump that he likes to claim each time we wander the block. And I contemplated the ugly dry parts, which in New York City often are sprinkled with litter, and the connection was made. That much of whom and what I looked for, looked toward for purpose in life, marriage, parenthood, a career, and my roles, had been cut away through change. And regardless of whether or not I could foresee that change, the pruning, chopping, and dying process hurt and still hurts deeply. As a midlife empty nester, my life seems pretty stumpy right now. Apart from my daughter, my life is quite different from what I dreamed it would be. A difficult divorce, a frustrating career in public education, and the looming unanswered questions about my future continue to litter my life. More than ever before, though, I stop, I contemplate, and I cry. 
However, these tears seem to water my soul and give life to my spirit. I'm not sure exactly what's going on. It's difficult to put into words. However, as a child of a loving God who sits on the throne and knows my beginning and end, I am learning to sit a while at the stump, to rest in the mess, and to wait on the new shoots of life that God has in store for me. And as the birds and squirrels that gather each morning, trusting and sharing in God's provision, I'm learning to do the same. Thank you. Well, the second truth of the five that came forth in Isaiah, I'm just simply calling expect disorientation repeatedly, was the message on disorientation the plan of God. And it was, the point was very simply this, that we get disoriented in life not simply once or twice as we follow the Lord Jesus. It is repeated. It, it is the spiritual journey. And Israel had a very hard time accepting this in Isaiah's time. And every time things seem stable for them, God seemed to blow up their lives again with something new. And so we talked about these repeated movements in the spiritual life. One, there's orientation where I'm sensing I feel secure and I'm located, I'm rooted, things are feeling good. Then boom, God sends disorientation. And I'm baffled. I'm bewildered, confused, overwhelmed. I'm dislocated. But God does that so he can move us to a new place and do a new thing inside of us. And so he can move us into reorientation. That is a new place of security, but he relocates us. We're not the same as we were in the very beginning. But God sends these crises and difficulties and trials and adversities. And we say, no, 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 God, I don't want this. I've had enough of that. But God says, I want you to understand, this is the journey of the spiritual life. Following Jesus means you will repeat this cycle till the day you see him face to face because he's committed to your growth and development and not allowing you to stay as a child. And so what happened to the Israelites in Isaiah's time was, okay, first King Uzziah dies. That was disorienting. And then eventually the Assyrians do uh, surround Jerusalem, another disorienting experience. Then eventually they do get conquered by the Babylonians. And they have to be carried away five to 700 miles away, and very disorienting, living in a whole new place for a number of years. And then the Persians conquer the Babylonians. And then God says, go back to Jerusalem five to 700 miles and a very dangerous scary journey through a desert. When they get back to Jerusalem, the whole city's been razed. It, it, it's, 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 it's all ruined. They've got to rebuild it. I mean, their life is one big disorientation. And so they constantly were grumbling and struggling with this God who would not allow them just simply to stay stable and stay fixed where they could be in control. And they can't believe God is doing this. And so we find in the book of Isaiah a lot of anger among believers and a lot of stubbornness. And uh, so we went to Isaiah 43, and the Lord speaks through Isaiah. And he gives this great image of water and fire. Water was, in, in ancient Hebrew, would be considered like the worst possible trial. A flood's coming over you. as Because you know, out of the floods comes all a sense of, of demonic evil uh, in the Hebrew mind. So it says this. The Lord says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire... You will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So hear that invitation for you today as you may find yourself in disorientation. You can quit God. You can blame God. You can blame other people. You can take life in your own hands. 
But you want to hear this disorientation as an invitation from God to you personally. And he's inviting you to himself. He's inviting you to become free. He's inviting you to be whole. He's inviting you to a life where he wants to use you. Which then leads me now to my next, really third application that came out of the book of Isaiah for us in the different messages. And it was simply this. Waiting patiently for the Lord, for God, is the foundation of the spiritual life. It's not like an additional discipline. It's not something you learn in a book and you add it for six months and then you move on. It is actually waiting for God is the foundation of a spiritual life that's going to have any sorts of depth, authenticity, and personableness. And so again, here's our key verse from Isaiah 30, verse 15. The Lord speaks to them in their stubbornness, in their frustration, maybe to you and you're mad today about something. And the Lord says, this is what the sovereign Lord one who runs history, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. And so we saw through Isaiah that God offers them a strength, I mean power. He offers them salvation, which is this, this broad word of earthly and eternal life in God, but he says the pathway to get there is quietness and trust, uh, repentance. The word for repentance means to, to sit, to sit at home, to, to relax, to let go, to, to take it easy. But what happened in, in Isaiah's time is they kept choosing horses. They kept choosing to go look to Egypt with all their military power and their chariots. And, and they didn't want to wait on the Lord. And they kept rushing ahead and making their own decisions with all kinds of you know, terrible consequences. But God's speaking. He's speaking to us as, as a community to let go of our frenzy and our anxiety, not to be irresponsible, but we act and take initiative out of a place realizing that my success and my future ultimately does not depend on my efforts. It depends on God. And so my life is one of I wait on the Lord for his strength. I wait on the Lord for his, uh, uh, his salvation. And I love in, in Isaiah 40 in, in the message on, on blessed unknowing, ended with a great verse. You may grow weak and tired, you youth, but those who hope in the Lord, those who wait on the Lord, will soar like an eagle, will run and not grow weary, and will walk and not faint. But that, that life, that power, that energy is going to come from a deep place of waiting on the Lord. And this was a critical uh, foundational issue for the people of Isaiah's time, chapter after chapter after chapter. And then we had a whole message on the God who doesn't forget. And we talked about this verse here in Isaiah 49. They kept saying, God's forgotten me. You ever say to yourself, God's forgotten me? He's remembering everybody else, but he's sure not hearing my prayers. And so the Lord says, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. And then God speaks. See, I have engraved you in the palm of my hand. Your walls are ever before me. And the image there of God actually cutting into himself and permanently tattooing you, your name, on his hands. And he goes, your, hands are, your, ever, your name is ever before me to think that I could ever forget you and what's going on in your life. So with that, I want to invite Terry to come. And uh, Terry, I'm going to ask you a question, huh? Do you want to say go Jets first? I said that already. It's out of my system. Okay, hold it close. All right. All right. That way. Yeah, yes. okay. Can you share with us about how you used to view God 
and how it's changed after learning that he's a God who's actually written your name on the palm of his hand. Um, I grew up a Catholic, I guess it's just making confirmation, communion, and not, not having any kind of relationship, didn't know anything about a relationship. That's my mom, singleist, we had like five kids, and um, we just couldn't wait to get out. It was just too crowded at that time. Um, finally moved out, young age, and uh, I got into, got into a lot of trouble. But for some reason, I always ask God, you know, help me out. What's, what's going on here? I mean, I, you know, what's going on here? Um, get, getting out of jams when I said those things, not really uh, knowing that he's, um, he's watching me and he's pursuing me at all this time, pursuing me. And then um, I followed some of the same traits my family did. I had a broken relationship, a couple of kids that I loved daily, and I had no clue how to raise kids because um, I needed help. And um, um, God, you know, it's just things just got so so chaotic with me, and I just asked God, I, I, you know, he's... He's instilled. He, he, he's there. I didn't know. He's, just ask him. So I came here three years ago. Still, what happened was I got drinking and drugging and, and all that stupid stuff, and um, I stopped all that. I've been off that stuff for over 20 years, but I was still empty. And I said, God, I, I, I'm still lost. I have two beautiful kids, and I, I don't know what I'm doing. What do you want me to do? I mean, what, what am I supposed to do? And what happened is, three years ago, I asked Jesus to come into my life. And those three years, up until now, he's, he's in our house. He, he talks to me, and I can be a better parent to my kids. And uh, it's only a short three years, but he's always had me in the palm of his hands. Always had me in his palm. He said, I have God of Jesus. I have him in my life today. And I... And all these sermons Pastor Pete does, it, it, I'm growing up. 40, I'm going to be 47 in a couple of weeks, I'm, and I'm growing up. I'm just starting to grow up in Jesus with his help. And just ask him, ask him, and he'll come. He will. He will. Thanks. Thank you. So after a couple of messages on... Uh, Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 61 about the spirituality, descent, and freedom, uh, we close with two messages uh, about really not simply receiving from God, but about moving outward. And you'll notice that in your daily office, the, the last day five is around these two messages. The first is that God invites you to join him in transforming the world. And it came out of Isaiah 61. And if you remember, it really came out of the group also from the Philippines returning back from the trip. But the, God says to Isaiah that I have something for you, and your life is packed with meaning. And I've got something for you to do. And the scripture says, Isaiah 61, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And so what God says in Isaiah 60 to 66 is that I am in the process of renewing the whole world, transforming the whole world. And I'm inviting you to come be part of that. And really he picks up on the book of Revelation of that relationships, politics, the heavens, the earth, commerce, vegetation, all of it's going to be renewed. And the Messiah is going to actually come and renew the whole world, physically, spiritually, uh, emotionally, bringing all things under the lordship of Christ. And he invites you, he invites me, 
that your life is not simply about you. God gives you talents, he's given you abilities, he's given you resources, he's given you education, he's given you a life, he's given you breath, because he's calling you and he's calling me to join him in bringing transformation to the world or renewing uh, the ancient runes. Our ancient runes is here in New York City, you know, and, and to use our talents and gifts to be the light of Jesus in our schools, in, our, in the marketplace, in our homes, uh, in our neighborhoods. And so the invitation was to really give ourselves away uh, on behalf of what God's doing and join with him in the world. And then that led us to the last message, which was just a couple of weeks ago, uh, from Isaiah 58. And it's, the fifth truth was very simply this, that loving your enemy is at the core of the Christian life. And it flowed out of Isaiah 58, where Isaiah went right after their compartmentalized spirituality. And that is, got, Isaiah speaks to them and says, you fast, but your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. And during Isaiah, uh, the people of God were very religious. The folks did feast days and they prayed and they fasted and they read scripture and they gathered for worship and they obeyed the Bible. They were very committed. But the problem was they weren't loving people towards others and they had compartmentalized their spirituality. And we talked about the degree to which we love our enemies is the degree to which we are spiritually mature people. And we asked the question, who is my enemy? Because Jesus said, pagans and tax collectors love their friends. But what makes my people different without an experience of me is we actually love our enemies. And so we defined enemies as follows. Who is your enemy today? It's somebody who drives you crazy, somebody you avoid, someone you have a hard time loving, someone who irritates you, someone that you resent, somebody that hurts you. And the Christian life is a supernatural life, not lived in our own strength and power, but in God. And so we talked about nothing is more important in our spirituality than learning not to despise other people. And despise is a synonym for judging. Uh, despising is when we harden our hearts towards someone else. When we decide whether this person's worthy of love, we write somebody off. We condemn them. And a spiritual person is someone who hides the faults of others, doesn't expose them. And then we talked about how there's nothing more important than learning that our enemies are actually our saint makers. They're sent by God. The problem in Isaiah 58 was they saw their co-workers and community members as a pain in the neck. These people were hurting their spirituality. I'd really be godly if it wasn't for you. And Isaiah said, that is an illusion, spirituality. Authentic spirituality understands that with your enemy is a place where God meets you. And uh, we talked about how love of neighbor in some ways, is more important than prayer. What we meant by that was, what good is praying and reading the Bible if we're still unloving? Prayer is, of course, critically important. Uh, but if I pray in the morning and I come here this, this afternoon and I can't stand you, but I feel at least a little less guilty about it because I prayed this morning, <laughs> Isaiah says, you are in an illusion. And so when I'm with God alone in communion, I'm present to my heart, right? I'm opening my heart to him. But when I'm with my enemy who's driving me crazy, 
Isaiah says, at the same place, you're supposed to be opening your heart to God and saying, you know, God, cleanse me. And I'm as cautious and watching my heart in that interaction as I end in my time alone with God. So you may think your enemies are an interruption in your spiritual life. Isaiah says, no, 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 no. That enemy is the place where God is happening for you. So with that, I'd like to invite Nikki to come and share about how God came to her in that. Thanks. I, um, I just would like to invite you into how I experienced this message that Pastor Pete preached. Um, he preached it on December 27th, two days after Christmas. And I missed the Sunday prior because we had all that crazy snow. And so I came to church that Sunday just, you know, wicked excited to be here. And, you know, I was very happy. There were poinsettia. It was wonderful. And my mother was with me. And so it was just, you know, great. And then Pastor Pete preaches this message, right? <laughs> And I remember um, his definition when he was defining who your enemy is, saying that um, an enemy is one who, who, who I have a hard time loving, or someone who has hurt me, or someone who I resent. And I remember just very slowly, you know, just turning to my mother, who is not my enemy, <laughs> but just looking at her and saying, that can't be right, that, that can't be. And, uh, but you know, okay, and uh, Pastor P continues, and um, I, I still have my bulletin from that day. And when he says um, that there's nothing more important than uh, learning to see that my enemies are saint makers for, for me, and he specifically said that, um, you know, the saint makers force you on a journey you probably never would have taken. And um, again, I looked at my mother and I was like, this is not what I expected during Christmas, <laughs> like I wasn't expecting to hear that word. And um, the final thing uh, where he says, um, the place where we get, we get connected to our enemy is God, and the place where we get connected to God is through our enemy, I wrote on my bulletin that this is not normal. <laughs> um, it's right there. <laughs> and, I said, and I just sort of showed it to my mother like, I don't, I don't get this. Um, and, um, but it's not, right? This isn't normal, and this is so counter-cultural, even just for me, right, as a person. I think I work hard, but even trying to do this is insane, and it's impossible, and um, it really is otherworldly, and it, it has to be supernatural because I'm very certain that I cannot love my enemy um, even if my enemy has the same last name as I do. Uh, so um, I'm grateful for the message. Even though it's a tough pill to swallow, I'm grateful that I'm not alone in trying to figure out how to even begin to love my enemy. And I'm thankful that God has, you know, gifted us with the Holy Spirit to help us supernaturally even understand how to do this and to do it well. So I want you to pull out now your daily office. Thank you, Nikki. So again, and to summarize Isaiah, you're not going to Italy as you thought. You are going to Holland. You may already be there. 
But God loves you too much to let you go to Italy. But he has wonderful new things for you in Holland. If you will entrust yourself to him and slow down to see the tulips and the canals and the Rembrandts in the capital city of Amsterdam. So what I want to do is, I want, oh, you'll notice this is, a, this is a, called a daily office. Now a daily office, we use that term a lot at New Life. And all a daily office is, is we call, it could be called devotionals or quiet time, but we just like to say it's stopping to remember God. It's pausing, stopping. Not simply once a day, but in a rhythm of stopping maybe two or three times a day to remember God, to slow down and get centered. Why? So that when you're active the rest of the day, you're remembering his presence all through the day. That's the goal, is that you're aware of him and you're communing and in a relationship with this living Jesus all through the day. And so we encourage you to, to, to pause, not just once in the morning, but maybe midday or evening, just for, it can be anything from two minutes to 20 minutes to an hour. It doesn't matter the time. It's a matter of, of stopping so that the world doesn't just sweep us away. And, uh, and so the goal, again, is to be with God. So this is, we, we see the daily office as an anchor to slow us down. So what we've done here, this week I, I wrote 10 of them for two weeks, two per day. You do one either morning, midday. The second one you'll notice you open up the page one, or then you do day one, midday, or evening. You pick a time that fits for you. And now, again, you can go to the website and look at the sermons if you're interested in them. Uh, you want to follow it up even further. Uh, or then eventually you'll be on the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality website. But I like to say that the, the, the way it's structured is these daily offices have five elements to them. There's first, there's silence, uh, two minutes of silence. Then there's a scripture reading. Then there's a devotional. Then there's a simple question. And then there's a prayer. Now, obviously, with the prayer or the question, if it helps you, great. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. The goal is simply to be a tool to help you connect with God. What doesn't help you connect with God, just who needs it, right? But I think for me, the key to an office is, is a pausing is that silence. In fact, silence may be the, the greatest gift that I, I, I think that the, we offer to people as a church. The world is filled with noise. It's almost prophetic it's a prophetic, powerful arm of warfare to just be silent. And I'm not sure if it's possible to be free and to be spiritually mature and whole without silence in your life. I'm not sure. Uh, but I do know this, that when we are silent, which we're going to be in just a moment, we do speak a message, and the message is it's still possible to have silence in this world. And it's a necessary counterweight to all the craziness going on around us. And then when we read scripture, those words have meaning to it. They're not simply verbiage coming. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to day one, midday, evening. And we are going to have an office together, a brief office. Okay, let me, let me say for those of you who say, I don't know how to pray and all that, we're always beginners at prayer. This is not about doing it right or trying to get legalistic. The goal of offices is cultivating a rhythm to remember God at set times in the day so that I'm cultivating my personal relationship with him 24-7. Okay, so uh, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to invite you to get comfortable, not fall asleep, but comfortable. And uh, we'll probably, we'll, I'm going to abbreviate it, which again, you, you abbreviate when you pause to be with God, you abbreviate it based on your circumstances and on, on what kind of time you have allotted. And, 
And just, you know, if God will grip me sometimes by a line out of a scripture, I stop right there. Or sometimes I just feel like I've got to be silent. And I'm just, that's it. But generally, these are the kind of elements I find very helpful. And again, you've got to sort out your own path. But uh, we're going to have right now about, you know, a minute of silence. And then we'll read the scripture out loud together. I'll read the devotional. And uh, then we'll have, a qu- I'll read the question. Then we'll have two minutes of silence. And that'll be the end of it. Yes, again, we're on day one, midday evening prayer from impatience to rest, and it's based on Isaiah 30. All right, so I'll be the timekeeper. You can relax. And uh, so let's begin and be still before the Lord who's here, and we're waiting patiently for him. So let's begin for a minute together. Okay, let's read together Isaiah 30, verses 15 to 18, out loud. Together. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. The Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Now God speaks these verses to Israel in the midst of great adversity as they find themselves under threat of an invasion from Assyria. Instead of turning and trusting in God, they become impatient and they look to Egypt's military power to save them. They want short-term relief a quick fix. They resist God's process of forming his character in them. This leads them to make a series of bad decisions with destructive long-term consequences. When under pressure, we often become suspicious of God's intentions and take matters into our own hands. We make decisions without consulting him. Yet God invites us, just as he invited his people in Isaiah's time, to repentance and rest, quietness, and trust. God longs to be gracious to us and show us his compassion. The question is whether we will wait for him. There's a a question to consider before we go into our silence for the next minute and a half. Name one area in your life where you are suspicious regarding what God is doing. And how might he be inviting you to trust him? Let's begin our silence. As you're silent and your eyes are closed, just be aware of breathing in, the rhythm of breathing in and breathing out. You breathe in and ask God to fill you. And breathe out all that's not of him in your life. So Father, show us what it means to wait on you, 
when things appear to be going badly. And may your will, not our will, be done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Worship team, come on forward. Please, let's all stand together. Thank you. And so I invite you during the week to take this daily office and cultivate a rhythm the next couple of weeks. And you'll just go back and reviewing Isaiah and have an experience of these rich truths and scriptures that God's given us today. Michael, put the words of that song we're going to sing, about Great is your faithfulness, O God. Because this really was the invitation of Isaiah, that great prophetic word 2,700 years ago. Great is your faithfulness, O God, who wrestles with the sinner's heart. That's us, isn't it? To calm down, slow down, and repentance and rest and quietness and, tr and trust. Let's sing it together. Amen. Thank you. God's grace comes to us in a lot of different ways, doesn't it? And one of the ways he comes, he comes through the Lord's table as we eat and drink of Christ. And so as we close here, you're welcome to come to the Lord's table. The Lord also comes to us as grace comes through other people in the body of Christ. We receive prayer. We receive hands laid on us as God comes through human beings to us. And uh, so we close every service. We have a prayer teams over here to your left. We invite people to come forward. Now you come forward for anything you like, physical healing, spiritual healing. You may be here today and you need to, you need to become a Christian for the first time and, and cross over a line where you actually begin a personal relationship with Jesus who died and rose for you and he's alive and you've been resisting him and today's your day to really surrender your heart to Christ and really become a Christian, a real Christian, uh, not one in your head but really in your heart. But I want to really invite anyone to come forward and, uh, and you know who you are that uh, you see that verse that's up there in repentance, Michael you put that verse up in Isaiah 30 where it says this is what the sovereign Lord says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength but you would have none of it and perhaps you're here today and and you're in no place of rest you're you're, you're running you're trying to make everything happen and you're filled with anxiety and God has come to you today because he loves you and he, you, you, he's reaching out to you and you can't do this on your own and, and that's why he's given us a community that's why we're church so we have prayer lines and so I want to invite you to don't run out of here just take your time just come over here and get some prayer let us pray for you that God's grace, just like it's supernatural to love your enemies, it is supernatural with all the stuff coming against you in your life under great pressure at times to be able to rest and sit in God and wait on him and be faithful and know when do I take initiative, when do I not, what does it look like to do that from the right spirit. That, friends, is grace. That's a miracle. To change a lifestyle of fear and anxiety and move to a place of rest and trust and confidence, that's a miracle. So don't rush out. Balcony folks, you come down here. The prayer teams will stay as long as we need you to pray for you. Okay? All right. So I invite you. We kind of go to be dismissed. Open up your hands, kind of up like this, just to receive a blessing from God. And as we close our service um, together. So may the Lord bless you as you walk out these doors. And may the Lord keep you close to his heart. And may he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may God teach you and lead you to be a person who embodies rest, quietness, and trust in him. And may he flood you with his peace as you walk out.
And may your life be marked by a strength that is not of this earth, that is from heaven above. And may you, by that strength, soar like an eagle. May you run and not grow faint. May you walk and no longer be weary. So may you be filled with the Holy Spirit as you take your next step. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. God bless you, everyone. Have a wonderful day again. Please come. The altars are open.